Good evening. I just want to, just a word of thanks to all those who spotted the typo in the, uh, in the notice sheet, if you didn't notice it. It says I was peaking tonight. <laughs> Alan was first off with, I hope you're not going to peak too soon. <laughs> then I've had, um, are, you, are we going to be peaking into the scriptures? Somebody else, I hope you're not too peaky. <laughs> I could go on, but I won't. But it is good to be here. It's good to, uh, to share with you tonight. I want to, um, in, our, uh, in our home group, we, um, we've been looking through the book of, the, the letter of Paul to the Philippians. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, we read that wonderful passage from chapter 2, a really well-known passage, but it sort of just stayed with me a bit, so I, I just want to share some, some thoughts around it tonight. So if, uh, if you've got your, uh, your Bibles with you, turn to Philippians chapter 2, I'm just going to read verses 1 uh, to 11, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 uh, to 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? I shall just sit down. Father, we just pray that you would uh, just bless this word to us tonight. I pray that you would be very much in my words and, and Lord, in my thoughts, that you would speak into our hearts and minds and our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a, a true story, allegedly. A person was driving home one night, but the weather, the, the weather got really bad, and the rain was coming down, and it was very hard to see. And so as they were traveling along the road, they saw some rear lights in front of them, and decided that they would follow those lights. Not being able to see much themselves in their car, they thought, well, I'll just, 
attach myself to those realites and follow them. They seem to be going in the right direction. And having gone on for a little while, all of a sudden, the car in front stops. And they began to wonder what was happening. Perhaps there's something that crossed in front of the car or something like that. And they began to feel a little bit uncomfortable, thinking maybe they've, they've stopped here in the middle of the road and they were watching their rear mirror in case something else came up behind. Much to their alarm, then the lights in front went off. And their concern now grew to real anxiety. And the person in the car in front got out and wandered towards their car. And all sorts of thoughts were going through their mind. Why would you stop in the middle of the road, turn off your lights and get out when the weather's like this? And then there was knocking on the window. And they wound the window down. And there was this man standing there in the pouring rain. Can I help you? Um, well, I'm not the one who stopped in the middle of the road and turned their lights off. Yes, but this is my drive. <laughs> Sometimes we choose the wrong person or the wrong example uh, to follow. This person had followed thought they would follow this person, but they didn't take them to where they wanted to go. And, and who we follow is a big question. What example do we follow? And perhaps we can think of, of people in our own lives, people who, we, who, who we've seen as great examples of, of men and women of God whom, whom we've sought to follow, sought to, to emulate. But it's in, particularly in times, in difficult times, that we really need to look to the one who is the example who can really guide us, the one who, who can really rely on, the one who can get us where we want to go. Uh, Phil reminded us this morning that actually the, the point of discipleship is that it's about becoming more like Jesus, following his example. And in these incredible verses, Paul is calling the Philippian church to follow the example of Jesus. To look to him. As I said, I was particularly struck as we, as we read this really inspiring passage that it's about looking to Jesus, to follow his example. To be more like him. And I want, as we look at this passage, to, to particularly home on three verses. Verses 6 to 8, if you've got your Bibles open. Verses 6 to 8. That means that we're not going to get to the end bit, the, the at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow bit. Maybe we'll come back to that some other time. But I want just to think of these verses and, and think of the example that Jesus is setting us. An example that challenges us in the way we live our lives, the way in which we are church in this place. And the whole book is set in the context of Paul urging this church in Philippi to unity and love for one another. There are suggestions in the letter that um, things are not all well, that there is some disunity and division. Later on in this chapter, in verse 14, we're told that they that they are to do everything without grumbling or arguing. 
Can you imagine that? A church where there's grumbling and arguing. Have you ever learned the like? A church where there's no arguing or grumbling. And then in chapter 4, Paul tells uh, uh, Euodia and Syntyche to sort themselves out. Clearly there seems that two of them had, 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 had clashed. They were among the leadership and they'd fallen out. And so Paul says to this church, look, I know that Philippi is a difficult place to be church. Philippi was a, a, a Roman colony. It would have been occupied by the Romans and it was the kind of place, it was the, the, the sort of place where a lot of sort of Roman veteran soldiers would be sent and they would be allowed a, a parcel of land or a house or whatever. And it was a place that was, that was, was very much part of Rome. And Paul said, look, if you're going to be church in this kind of place, if you're going to be church in this difficult place, if you're going to be church in a place where you face persecution and opposition, you've got to be together. You've got to be together. And to be together, they needed to make love and humility the hallmarks of their relationships with one another. And to Paul, that meant pointing them in the direction of Jesus, to follow his example, to have, as he says, the same mindset, the same attitude. And to make his, take his point, he, he, he then includes this, the, what most scholars think uh, was some kind of hymn or, or perhaps a piece of liturgy that was being used in worship around the church. If you, uh, if you look in your Bibles, that uh, verses 6 to 11 are, are set as, as poetry almost, or, or not, not in the prose that, that, that there is before. Maybe this was a hymn or a song that they'd sung. Maybe this was a piece of liturgy that they chanted. And it's certainly one that's uh, inspired many, many hymns. If you get bored with me, you might just sit there for a moment and see how many hymns and songs you can think of that, that were inspired by these words, particularly, as I say, the last few verses. Songs and hymns of, and, and liturgy has been used by the church throughout its history to teach doctrine, particularly in cultures where, where literacy is not great. So at the heart of this hymn is the incarnation of Jesus. Incarnation is a, is a technical word to describe the fact that Jesus... Uh, who was God, took on the very nature of a human being. In the, in the incarnation, we see perhaps the greatest example of humility. We read in, uh, in uh, verse 6, Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage? First thing we need to recognize, of course, is that Paul is clearly stating that Jesus is, in the very nature, God. It meant he had the same attributes to God, the same nature as God. It means Jesus was God. The Greek here, word here means a form or shape or nature of. There's no way to get around the fact that, that, that Paul is teaching the deity of Christ. Wherever God was, Jesus was. They were the same nature. It doesn't say that Jesus was in the fashion of God or in the appearance of God. Jesus did not take on the appearance of deity. He was God. 
He doesn't say he was in the likeness or the image of God, like in, in the beginning of Genesis where it says that man was made in the likeness, in the image of, of God. It doesn't say that. Jesus was not made in the image of God. He was God. He had the very nature of God. But, the second part of the verse says, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. It's always good to, to look at some of the other uh, translations. The, the RSV puts it, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Another version, did not think this equality with God was a thing to be eagerly grasped or retained. The message version says, he had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Although he was God, he did not cling to that. He didn't say, sorry, I'm God, I'm I'm not going to. I'm not going to lower myself and become a human being. I'm, I'm God. I'm, I'm sat here on the throne in heaven. I'm not going to go down there with that lot. <laughs> he didn't say, I'm not going to... What am I, what am I going to go down there to die on a cross for? That's not, I, that's not the sort of thing I want to do. I'm God. He didn't look to his own things to his divine power and glory, to his equality with the Father, he looked down to us. He looked upon us. He didn't hang on to the fact that he was God because he loved us. He did not consider it, we're told. He did not. He chose a different way. Sometimes we have to understand that, that um, as God, Jesus didn't have to go through what he, had, he went through. He didn't have to do it. There are several moments in his life where he is challenged. But he chose to walk the way of the cross. He could have stopped it at any moment, but he chose not to. He took upon himself the sins of the world. Verse 7, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Again, that that phrase, he took the very nature. It's the same word in verse 6. Just as Jesus had the attributes of God, he was God, he took on the attributes of a servant, being made in human likeness. He didn't just play at being a human being. This was not some divine dressing up day where he thought, I actually did that, I'll dress up as a human being. He became man in all its fullness. He became the very nature of a servant out of love for humanity. He went from being infinite, to be, from being beyond restraint or condition, to being finite, to being under restraint, under the conditions He was affected by the things that we are affected by. He went from uncreated perfection to being a human subject to human development. Sometimes it's good just to think this this Jesus came and he was just like us. He went through being a baby, a small boy. I'm sure he, he scraped his knees while he was out playing with his mates. 
He went through being a teenager. He went through the process of learning a trade. He went through those things in life. We often think of Jesus in, in just four ways. As a baby, a man preaching the good news, a man dying on a cross, and a resurrected Lord. We forget the bits in between. He was real. A real man. A real human being. He went from being omnipresent to being confined to time and space. You can imagine his frustration at times of only being able to be in one place at a time. I bet that was at the heart of his, his tears at the, at, the, at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend, with his sister saying, if only you'd been here. If you'd been here as opposed to there. But he was confined to time and space. He was in every way as we are. He had to eat. He gets hungry. He sends the apostle for food. He gets thirsty. He asks the woman at the well for water. He gets tired. We see him asleep in the boat. He gets angry. He weeps. He's joyful. He went from being almighty and all-powerful to having to get on his knees and pray to the Father for strength. That is humility. To come from that to that. That is humility. Going from controlling all things and willfully giving up and getting on his knees to pray for strength and help. If that, the thought of, of the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, doing that for us does not pierce our hearts, nothing will. He did that for us. Even more amazingly, he did not just give up those things he had in heaven to come and live like a king. He came to live as a servant. In very nature, a servant. Like a servant of the time, he owned nothing. He had no house to sleep in. He had, no, he had to borrow a boat to preaching. He had to borrow a donkey to ride to Jerusalem on. He had to borrow a room to hold the last supper in. He had to borrow a tomb to be buried in. He had nothing. Jesus was not just a servant in a spiritual way, but also in a very material way. And he sets us an example. Jesus humbled himself to the point where he washed the feet of his disciples. Not a job that you would normally do. Only the servants would do that. And the lowest servants would do that. It was humiliating to have to wash someone's feet. Yet Jesus did it. He gave up all he had in heaven, all he had on earth. Why? Because he loves us and shows us an example to follow, an example of love and humility. In the 11th century, there's a story of King Henry III of Bavaria who grew tired of court life and the pressures of being a monarch, and he made an application to the local prior in the local monastery and asked to be accepted as a, as a contemplative and spend the rest of his life in the monastery. Your majesty, said the prior, do you understand the pledge to be here is one of obedience and humility? That will be hard because you have been a king. But the king said, I understand. 
And so the prior said, I'll tell you what to do. Go back to your throne and serve faithfully in the place where God has put you. When the king died, a statement on his tomb was written. The king learned to rule by being humble and obedient. He followed the example of Jesus. Jesus goes from the throne of heaven to the washing of feet. He does it to show how we are to be with one another, how we are to be servants. What an example. What an example to follow. And Paul reiterates in verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Just like we will die one day. Jesus was subject to death. But not only did Jesus die, as Paul states here, even death on a cross. This is the sort of thing that, um, that gets me excited. Sad that I am. This is why I think Paul did not write this. If you notice in verse 6 and 7, there are three lines. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not cling to ecology God, something to be used to his advantage. Verse 7, rather he made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. They all have three lines, except verse 8, where Paul can't help himself. He is so, um, I was going to say obsessed, I'm not sure that's the word, by the cross. The cross is so central to him, he cannot use this thing without adding in even death on a cross. There's almost a sense where he, he uses that and then puts in brackets, even death on a cross. It's not just enough to say that Jesus was obedient to death. He wants to make the cross central. Even death on a cross. He didn't just go obediently to die. He died on a cross. It wasn't just death. It was the most humiliating death there was at the time. Death on the cross was one of great suffering and pain. And yet this is the death that Jesus, the servant the humble servant chose. Jesus, being God, could have chosen to die in his armchair. He could have chosen death by some sickness or disease or some other method that was perhaps quick and easy. But no, he chose the most humiliating, the most cruel death there was. Why? Because he loved us. And he was that humble servant. All that he did or did on our behalf. His humility is our ultimate example of what our mindset should be. As we look at the point, as we look at Jesus to see what he gave up, to see what he come to do. He is that example of what our mindset would be.
And so the point of these verses for Paul is, if Christ the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, if Christ Jesus the very God, if he can humble himself to the point of giving up his heavenly glory, of becoming a servant, humbling himself to the point where he washes disciples' feet, humbling himself to the point of not just dying but dying on the cross, then why can't you humble yourself? That's the point. As I said, the context of this humility is in relationships. The relationships between these people in this church, the people in church. He speaks of being like-minded or having the same love or being in one in the spirit. Three ideas to motivate us to this like-mindedness, to this, this mindset of Jesus. Piling one idea on another to emphasize the importance that we serve together as minded in one common purpose. In Jesus Christ. Humility is what we're called to. It's the opposite of pride. There's the story of the, the young man who was a candidate for ministry and he was about to preach his first sermon. And he went up to preach, he knew, as he went up to preach, he knew he was well prepared, he had confidence in his abilities. And before he went, as he went to the pulpit, we ain't got one anymore. Someone said I should have a box to stand on. We haven't got one in. As he went to the pulpit, there was an older minister who watched him. And as he watched him, he shook his head. The young man preached his sermon and he failed miserably. And he left the pulpit in humility after his failure. And the young preacher said to the older minister, what, what happened? I was so so confident and so prepared. And the older minister said to him, if you'd gone up the way you came down, you would have come down the way you went up. We are to be humble. Humble servants as Christ was a humble servant, as Jesus was a humble servant. What humility is not, of course, is, is weakness. Allowing people to run over us is not humility. Humility is a strength of character. Humility is to look at another person and see their interests and to count them as more important than your own. That doesn't come from weakness. That comes from strength. It takes strength to look out for others. And humility is a call to high Christian character. It's a call to strength. I'm always reminded of that uh, it's supposed to be a, a, a poster outside a church that said, if you think it's weak to be meek, you try being meek for a week. And I was reminded the other day of a quote from C.S. Lewis who said that humility was not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Disunity and disharmony threatened the fellowship in Philippi. And it can so easily do so in churches. This, was a, this church in Philippi was a diverse group of, of believers. We can see that, that when Paul went to plant the church there, uh, we read about in Acts, the first Christians in Philippi were a gentle, bit, Gentile businesswoman and her household and a Roman jailer and his household. This was a diverse group of people. 
And Paul says, look, if this group, if you are going to be the people of God in this place, if you are going to be able to build the church in this place against all this opposition, against all this persecution, then you need to be together. You need to be a people that people look at you and say, as Jesus said, see how they love one another. That we and they might be a powerful witness in the world. It's countercultural, I know, to some extent, because we live in a world that says, you grab what you can get. Don't bother about anywhere else. A world that says it's about asserting yourself, about asserting your rights, about asserting what you want. We have to be different. And these verses call us to follow the example of Jesus, to be that countercultural group of people who people see when they walk through the door, they say, there's something in here. See the love they have for one another. See that they have the mindset of Jesus. The question, of course, is where does he get us? Where does he get us? Well, that's answered in the last verse, isn't it? Therefore God has highly exhorted him, so exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Jesus lifts the lowly and exalts them. For that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We are called to be Jesus, to have the same mindset, to be that humble servant. And we are challenged tonight. Let's pray. Father God, we 